The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies. And fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, Operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. You have a right to a podcast. Anything you say in this podcast will be used against you in the court of public opinion. If you can't afford a podcast, that's weird, because we put this out for free. Dun-dun. And tonight, (laughs) we are going to be talking about justice in the form of law enforcement. We're going to be talking about police in popular culture. We earlier did a show on villainy and uh, criminals in popular culture, so we thought we'd bookend it by doing one about the other side. So tonight we're going to be talking about the police and their role in popular culture. And I think the best place to start with that is probably to figure out what exactly are the police, Don? Like, what role do they have in society? How do we define a police officer? Um... The idea of, like, uh, specific dedicated individuals to law enforcement, it's kind of a recent one, at least as we understand it. But hold on a sec. Isn't there records of there were there were guardsmen in ancient Rome? The Romans had what were effectively police officers. Yeah, they did. Um, what, what, you usually, what you got was, if you go back to, say, the, uh, the, the earliest, like, uh, human settlements that we could call, say, like a city, like the old mm-hmm. fortress towns and that. Right. You would have a town watch. Right, yeah. And what, what the, uh, the job of the town watch was to watch the town. These are the guys that would patrol around at night, make sure nobody came in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is where different, different cultures, it would work different ways. Like a lot of them, it would be volunteers. Mm-hmm. If our settlement's only 300 people, we don't have the resources to have a group dedicated specifically to this task. Right, yeah, makes sense. Um, other places, they'd, they'd be sponsored. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, taxes would go towards that sometimes. If it was, because um, some cultures, the way you were ended up being in charge was you were essentially the richest person. Mm-hmm. And usually influence went along with that. You were, th- this was... I'm I'm thinking like say going back to like Assyria and that right like yeah. Babylon and that mm-hmm. wealth and influence went together because it was it was resource management. You didn't have a lot of like what we'd consider luxury, mm-hmm. so wealth meant you were in charge of the granaries. There was a, there's a lot of it gets complicated too because a lot of it ties in with religion. Mm-hmm. That a lot of the priests ended up also being kind of the accountants because the temple would be where you would. Uh, well, they were the, the people who could do math. I was going to say, so, they were the people who could do math and actually are, were literate in many cases. No one yeah. else was. Yeah, and they would take, like, charge of, of uh, warehousing, like, say, the, the, the grains and mm-hmm. and whatever your, your, your farming products were and kind of overseeing distribution. Out of that, you get this idea, like you said, you would have guards. Mm-hmm. You could have different groups that were in charge of different things. Like that was one of the problem 
in a lot of uh, pre-medieval societies is you'd have different groups controlled by different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when you, when you mentioned the Romans, uh, the guards would be hired and essentially controlled by whichever senator was in charge of that territory. Yes. So there could be questions of loyalty, like on, on paper, as it were, you were pledging fealty to the empire. Mm-hmm. But you were probably more concerned about whoever it was giving you the paycheck. That basically is exactly how it worked in ancient China as well, I can tell you. Mm. They they basically each, um, say, city governor or you know, local magistrate, whatever, would have their own guard force that they often semi-privately paid for. Uh, mm-hmm. And then that they were the ones who ran the town. So technically, they work for the local. They would work for the local city government, but they were literally being hired often by the actual uh, local rich guys, basically to you know to watch everything. So it did determine yeah. their loyalty quite a bit. Yeah, and then that was because in 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 a lot of um, earlier cultures, being the rich guy made you de facto the person in charge. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you get into at this time is there isn't a distinction between, say, police and military. Mm, that's true. They they work kind of the same. They kind of come out... Like the town watch, it's the earliest version of a police force, but they were actually more like what we'd consider a military. And sometimes they were the local military. Yeah, like even, even like uh, when you go to Roman era, that's what would happen is the, the guards and that they weren't necessarily really concerned with he stole from me as much as they were keeping a lookout to make sure nobody was invading and nobody was trying to assassinate essentially the person paying their, their bills. Mm -hmm. But more and more what you would get as uh, societies expanded, as you had more and more people Mm -hmm. that the, the guards and such like the lieutenants for the guards, the local commanders would de facto become closer to what we'd think of as police and that they were a civil force because if I had a dispute with somebody, I would take it up to whoever was in charge. Mm -hmm. And if there was like 2000 of us in the city, that was fairly easy to deal with. But once it gets like, there's 200,000 of us, well, the Senator does not have the time to hear about me and you squabbling over, you know, who owes who 10 shillings for, 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 for a, uh, a chicken. Mm Mm-hmm. And you would see the uh, the the man on the ground, the 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 lieutenants, the the localized commanders of these forces, becoming kind of the voice of whoever it was paying their bills. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. And they would deal with all this petty stuff, uh, freeing the person in charge for different things, and that's where you kind of start seeing what we would think of as the police coming up. That it's it works like the military. It's coming out of the military. But it's dealing with civic matters, mm. not like matters of state or matters of war. Right. Makes sense. And that's what you need, right? They're meant to be peacekeepers. They're meant to keep order and organization. And I think that's an important thing to always remember when we're thinking about the police is the fact that they are representatives of order, as in the dominant order of that society. Yep, essentially. And... um that goes with with uh, tying in with our criminal episode mm-hmm. when we when we talked about stories portraying uh, criminals. Mm-hmm. We discussed they're always about punishment, but it's about who's getting punished, the individual or society. Right. 
if we're making a statement about society, then we'll portray the the, the quote-unquote criminal as the hero. Mm, true. It, if we're making a statement about the individual, then we'll tend to make the criminal an actual criminal. Even if they're sympathetic, they're still mm-hmm. clearly going to be in the wrong. Right, yeah. When you, when you do a story about uh, police or any mm-hmm. kind of like police-type force, typically what you're making is a comment on society in general because the police represent society. They're the enforcers of society's will. Mm. And that's what you were saying. And and again, when you get into this idea historically of the uh, the commander on the ground dealing with kind of the localized dispute, that's where that concept, I think, starts coming into it, uh, not necessarily in entertainment, mm-hmm. but in general. Like, like right. you were saying, this is where you really start to see the police becoming something apart from the military. Right. Well, because they have a different focus and their job is not um, fighting so much as uh, settling disputes and keeping order. And I guess that's, that's you know, to serve and protect, to, or, to uh, maintain order in society. Yep. And and order essentially being um, the order of whoever is in charge. Well, yeah, because... It's the golden rule, right? He who has the gold makes the rules. <laughs> yeah, because that that functions all the way like um, in in the West, especially in the East. You have similar ideas that when you mm-hmm. get to say the medieval period in Europe, mm-hmm. uh, you start getting things like baronies and sheriffs. Yes, which actually interesting a bit of trivia. Actually, do you know what sheriff is actually a corruption of? Oh, shoot. No, what is it? It Shire Reeve. Oh, they were the yeah. Reeves of the Shire, which, and that, that was their, they were taking care of that area. And somehow it slowly got corrupted into, from Shire Reeve into Shire Reef, and when, which eventually became Sheriff. Mm-hmm. So that's where Sheriff comes from. They were just the, they were the Reeves or the people who were responsible for taking, keeping order in that Shire. Or that, that little section. Sense. Yep. Mostly I learned that on a radio show a couple weeks back. <laughs> I can Coincidence? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> By sheer coincidence. Keep going. Yep. But that's the idea. And then what, what that is, because when you get to the uh, the monarchies of, of Europe in the Middle Age, in the uh, like medieval times and later, mm-hmm. you're dealing with big areas. You're dealing with a lot of people. And the idea is that the, the monarchy... Yeah, it it well it, it served them essentially. The monarchs own the people on their land. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's true. And it's it's not necessarily as bleak as it sounds. We're not talking Mordor here all the time because there's a reciprocity that the the people have an obligation to the monarch. The monarch has an obligation to the people. Mm-hmm. Those can be a lot of people at this time. So that's where you get like um, barons or people who are granted land that they can work basically for their own benefit provided that they're paying fealty with Mm -hmm. being loyalty and supplies and resources to the king right and you get sheriffs who are the idea like you said sheriffs are kind of the first i think what we would see as a a police officer because Mm -hmm. they weren't military Uh, they didn't come out of the military they weren't 
the way the military worked at this time in medieval times that it was still tied up to family name and wealth and influence mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like that was how you got to be like a, an officer commander you were the the richest guy well, yeah you bought your commission basically you did that and and a lot of times too you might supply a regiment mm-hmm. that there would be like one rich family that this army is nominally for the king but again they're being paid off and and running that by a specific individual right that Makes sense yeah when you get to like medieval times and that that would be part of and this is why i said when you're paying resources to to the monarch a lot of times those resources would be troops mhm that if the if the 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 next door guys were getting all uppity you would send manpower off to help the king fight the war against whoever it was they didn't like at the moment. Right, yeah, makes sense. And then that was, and that's kind of, again, where where the early civic defenders came out of. But when you get to a sheriff, sheriffs were, were typically, as I recall, they were appointed by um, the, the, the monarch, or they could be, be appointed by the, the, the baron, whoever it was in control of this territory. And that was... Again, they were linked to the land. They were there to keep the peace. They were there to keep the uh, the peasants in line in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like every- in the end, that's kind of their function, right? Yeah, well, every- everybody remembers Robin Hood, right? Well, yeah, that's true. The Sheriff of Nottingham is not the hero of that story. No, he is not. <laughs> and then and then that was the idea, too, that the, the, the mundane kind of civic running was being shunted off to like the to the sheriff's office that you were starting to see mm-hmm. people who would you know who would handle this more mundane stuff right because you had so many people that mundane stuff was starting to pile up hmm. actually complete aside you know that's probably the only version of Robin Hood I've never seen done one where the sheriff of Nottingham is actually the good guy and is actually the main character <laughs> And I Robin Hood so. and his Mer- Mer- band of merry thieves are actually a bunch of like evil <laughs> bastards. I think somebody did one. I think there was like a, a movie back in like the late eighties or that. Mm-hmm. But I can't remember what it was because it, it. I vaguely remember that, and I remember nobody knew that it was a Robin Hood story because of that. They thought it was some kind of like, you know, like action action or kind of flick. But it was actually the sheriff of Nottingham is the hero. That's actually a pretty cool idea. Huh. Anyway, all right. <laughs> I think that, I think there's definitely some uh, some meat to be get. And then yeah, all the Robin Hood characters are a bunch of like you know evil bastards. Uh, yeah, that could work. <laughs> hmm. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I just I just find that <laughs> fa- idea fascinating. It it is, and I think this is something that's going to kind of come come back around a lot mm-hmm. on on this discussion. Robin Hood or sheriffs being bastards? What? A little of both. Yeah, okay. I think so, too. Mm. Uh, there's going to be a lot of Robin Hoods in this story. <laughs> Thank you, folks. Try the veal. Try the veal. <laughs> all right. So, uh, all right. So, there, so now we have our medieval police forces. Um, well, you don't, you don't quite yet. Right. Okay. Sorry. Keep going. Because what ends up happening, remember, you also, the, the sheriff mm-hmm. can get overworked, too, because as societies are advancing and they can support more people. You're getting more people. And that's where you get the idea of deputies. Mm. That deputies were people that the sheriff would appoint to to 
basically mm-hmm. expand their control and expand their influence over their territory. Right. Okay. And that's kind of, I think at that point, that's kind of where you start seeing something that we nowadays would recognize as the police. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So you're saying that it, it takes until we start getting deputized officers before we really end up starting to see what we'd recognize as police. Yeah, because cause again, a lot at that point, you've got an actual force. Right. That's dedicated to, to, to civil issues and right. not military. Like the sheriff and the deputies... They may be ex-military. They may have been part of the military. Because, again, if you had a warring period, everybody was part of the military, whether you wanted to be or not, for a while. Mm -hmm. That's very true. Yeah, but they weren't... Because the military handles state issues. It handles national issues. This is the first time you've got groups that are specifically dedicated to civil matters. Mm -hmm. That Okay, that makes sense. I was just thinking, uh, sorry, I was just thinking to myself that I also wonder where magistrates fit in, because I know that in Asia anyway, for a very long time, there would be magistrates, basically judges, right? Whose Mm -hmm. job was to go around and to, to keep order, and they would have their deputies that would support them. But I and so there would be a magistrate, there'd be a, a legion of deputies, and they would they might move around or they'd control a certain area for a certain amount of time, and then they'd often be assigned somewhere else. You know, it was a uh, what's, what's the correct term? It was a uh, it was a civil service position, mm-hmm. and as an end result, I almost wonder though if part of also uh, police forces was the point where the magistrate the judges basically and the police officers that were serving them separated from each other as well because a lot of societies that's what happened is you didn't really, don't really get a police force until the judiciary and the police become separate things in society right do you understand my, what i mean yep oh yeah cuz it's um when you talk about magistrates remember you had those in in like europe as well yes and they come out of um what we call the bureaucracy yes that they were that once you had the societies expanding to where you had so many people, the law got complicated. You started seeing people being appointed to minister to the law. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That they would update the law, they'd keep track of the law. They would basically wander around because, in a lot of cases, say the the sheriff mm-hmm. wouldn't necessarily be well versed in the law. A lot of times, it would be you're the biggest meanest guy with the lowest empathy and you have a collection of whacking sticks so i want you to be in charge of keeping order exactly which makes sense back in those days you needed the toughest guy to be the person who kept order mm. but but he that might necessarily whacking people with sticks might be like the limit of his knowledge of his position exactly so he's better as an enforcer and he needs basically some brains to go with that brawn and that's the magistrate yeah and remember too as your society is expanding, you get little groups that split off because when you get written law, mm-hmm. when you get something like a, a, a class, like the magistrates, that's dictated specifically to the law, mm-hmm. it starts existing outside of things. Like for a long time, whoever was in charge was the law mm-hmm. and whoever was enforcing his law did so at his pleasure. Yes. Yep. Exactly. That's most of human history. Yeah, but when you start getting magistrates in that, 
because everybody's going to grub for their own level of power. So these people would start putting more weight on the law apart from the individuals, apart from whoever's in charge, apart from the people even. Mm-hmm. And it would become its own thing. And it would exist for its own sake, which would coincidentally benefit the, the magisters and the lawyers and such. Oddly enough, yes. Um, <laughs> oddly enough, magistrates tended to become very wealthy very quickly in many places, in many cases. Mm. Often in direct inverse report proportion to how honest they were. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and that applied to everybody because at this point, too, it's difficult to keep track of everybody. Mm-hmm. So if you're, like, say, a corrupt sheriff or a corrupt, corrupt uh, magistrate, mm-hmm. who's going to know? How How is the word going to get to your superior? Like, the king doesn't want to hear from you as a peasant. That's the whole point of sending the sheriff in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So at that point, I mean, actually, I think it's just a given, really, that you're going to be corrupt in most cases <laughs> to some degree. I mean, really, I do, actually. I mean, I, I suspect the number of uh, corrupt magistrates far, far outstripped the number that were uncorrupt. Yeah, and remember, too, though, you got to kind of um, think about what corrupt means. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good point. Like, like we would consider, like, say, bribes and kickbacks to be corruption. Mm-hmm. But... There would be also be the thing that these guys would necessarily want to really completely ream the people because, first off, they don't have enough forces to really deal with an uprising. Yes, there's that, definitely. And you don't kill the golden goose. Like, mm-hmm, you, you don't mm-hmm. want to tax the people to death because if they're dead, you can't get any taxes from them. Exactly right, yeah. And often they were responsible in making sure the people paid their taxes, too. That was part of their job. Yeah. So therefore, yeah, it makes sense that you don't want to be too corrupt, but at the same time, you do want to make sure that the local wealthy and powerful are very happy. Yeah. Because you need their help sometimes too, right? I mean, it goes both ways. They Mm -hmm. need you and you need them. So everybody's got to scratch everybody else's back and however other many cliches you want to use. (laughs) Uh, So in the end, they are a part of society and you could make an argument that that's part of the reason actually we split the police and the judiciary in the first place actually maybe that was actually one of the great accomplishments that we had because by doing so we may have actually reduced the amount of corruption in the system yeah and because what what you're um what you're essentially seeing when you get to uh, i'm gonna say probably around the 15 1600s mm-hmm. in europe i think china does this a little earlier because they were a lot bigger on on organization and government than than the West they were was. much yes yeah you you get that idea of pitting different groups against each other mm-hmm. because you would have like the enforcement divisions you'd have like the sheriffs and the magistrates would be different not by any kind of design just because it would be different people who are all grubbing for their own like power base right. And the ultimate powers that be, the the people above them, like the monarchies and that, saw that there would be a value in pitting them against each other. Because then neither one of them could get too big. Mm -hmm. And then that starts getting codified into into certain... First, it'll start as like, that's a good idea. Then it becomes kind of like just how you do it. And then it becomes like an, an actual like law. It it gets codified. Right. and, And this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of an important idea because, again, it's it's furthering that idea that law 
and society is something beyond the individual components. Hmm. Okay. And I was thinking actually specifically, I know going back to Asia, my area of expertise, it's funny how that the, in a weird way in Japan, for example, the Yakuza traditionally ended up being part of the law enforcement system. Mm-hmm. because the Yakuza had their territories, and if anyone was getting out of line, the local law would just lean on the local Yakuza boss to clean up their own act or to deal with these problems, and the local Yakuza would take, boss would take care of it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that, so in a weird way, you've got this weird trickle-down of even in the criminal groups, you've got certain law enforcers or enforcers who are enforcing law on the criminals to one degree or another, or order, not law, order. There's a difference. <laughs> yeah, and and that goes too with the idea that um, uh, the Yakuza are kind of like a cross between like the mob and Robin Hood, that they mm-hmm. would come out of the, the people, they would come out yeah. of the masses. Yes. And they would be more connected to them, whereas in Japan, when you get to like, say, the, the, the feuding states era, or even, even afterwards... Mm-hmm the the police the enforcement people were kind of seen as apart from the public yes yeah they were like it 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 harkened back to the um to the the idea in europe that of of the monarchy that the the word of of the king was law and in japan uh your local daimyo who would be kind of like a baron in in the west they're effectively barons yeah yeah their word would be law in their territory and the cops are just there to enforce it if they actually wanted to resonate with the people, the Yakuza were the way to do it because mm-hmm. they were kind of a mix of, yeah, like people were terrified of them. Mm-hmm. But again, you don't kill the golden goose and you don't get that crowd bigger than you really mad at you. So the Yakuza would kind of give back to the community sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they, or, they, to some degree. Yeah. Or at least not fleece them too bad. Well, yeah, exactly. As you said, if you kill the golden goose, it can't lay eggs anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I know that was a uh, during the, the 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 warring states. Yeah, in Japan, that was a problem because again, the local daimyo, the local lords, when they got the urge to go beat up the guys next to them, would conscript people, and the peasants really hated that. And I know that was a huge mm-hmm. problem that era in Japan, and that mm-hmm. was one of one of the reasons the 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 people didn't always care for for the government so much because every now and then, oh, guess what? We're going to war. Yeah, a bunch of you are going to die, but whatever. Grab your uh, stakes and hose and let's get moving. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And, oh, that applies. That's China, too. And I think that's pretty universal, actually, for most of human history, especially in feudalized societies, where the fact that you could suddenly get plucked off your land and forced to go off in a war that you know nothing about and have no connection with and don't want to be there and probably die... Um, mm. yeah, that's not something you really looked forward to. So therefore, cause remember they didn't have standing armies for the most part. And mm. so that, that was a bit of a problem, especially yeah, during the more conflict driven periods. Yep. And don't forget too, that at that time, mm-hmm. if you were, you were a peasant, when the military would come through, they'd take all of your workers. Yeah. They'd take your supplies. So they'd take all your food net and they would go trucking off to wherever, and you were left to starve to death during the winter because, again, the local lord had a burr in his butt about this other guy you've never heard of. And well, the one advantage to Japan is it's not that big, so unless they were going yeah. really far away, the ba- it wasn't going to be that long a campaign. 
it's not like China where you could be gone for months at a time. Usually in Japan, it was over within a few. Well, okay, once we get to the really big campaigns, no, but a lot. But the、mm. local fights were usually over within a few weeks or a month or two at most. Yeah, or or like a year. Yeah, sometimes it does yeah, depend. Remember- Remember in Europe, you had fights that took thirty fucking years. So there's a reason was, the one was called the Hundred Years' War, dude. Yeah, and 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 like I say, that put a big drain on the peasantry, and I I think in some ways that was why、um, you sort of saw that kind of thing diminishing a little quicker in Europe、mm-hmm. than you did in in like China and Japan for that reason, because the、mm-hmm. the peasants were getting reamed a lot worse, and they kind of put their foot down in a hurry. Yeah, I can see that. Well, do keep in mind that after the、uh, Tokugawa shogunate came into power, after the, in the Tokugawa Bakufu took power, basically、um, they had they effectively had peace, right? I mean, at that point,、mm. the wars are over. You know, anyone who starts any sh- you know, starts any shit basically the, has the whole shogunate coming down on top of them. Yes,、mm. there were a few rebellions. There were definitely a couple of rebellions that happened here and there, but for the most part, it was actually relatively peaceful after that. In fact, correction. No correction. I'm wrong about one thing,、um, except for Hideyoshi going off to invade、uh, South Korea every couple, you know, every couple years. <laughs> that was a bit of a problem, and、yeah. um, there were they were a little, they got a little expansionistic at times, but generally speaking, things were much more peaceful in Japan. Yeah, it was it was peace at the edge of a sword, but it was still peace. Well, I mean, you had one guy in charge, so you know that、mm-hmm. that, that kind of well once. Ring of guys in charge, whatever. The point is, is that so at that point it really became、uh, more. It, they were literally, in fact, actually, I read somewhere that the Tokugawa Bakufu is actually considered to be the world's first police state, huh? Because they literally were a police state. The whole goal was to keep、uh, order at absolute cost, no matter what it took, and so therefore that's what everything was focused on. Hmm. So they were the first police state, according to some、uh, historical writers, at least, and in, in the modern sense, anyway. Yeah.、Um, so I'm pretty sure they were. If that's the case, I'm pretty sure they were. You know, probably they had neighbors spying on each other and the whole bit. I mean, we romanticized the hell out of、uh, feudal, or sorry, out of、uh, Edo era Japan and everything like that. But the truth is, is that it was probably not that nice a place to live. Yeah, I bet, and it wasn't too different from. Anywhere else at the time, like be, being like a a pre Renaissance peasant is being a pre Renaissance peasant. There's, yeah, it involves your life being really sucky. That's that's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah but it, at least you know where you stand. <laughs> well, this is true. In Japan, it was you knew exactly where you stood. There might as well have been one of those level systems, like in a video game or something like that. You knew you were level one, and you were just gonna. That's it. You're <laughs> you're level one, and it goes up to you know two hundred, and you know the you know where where you are on that ladder. <laughs> yeah, I'm an NPC, but yeah, that's level zero. <laughs> anyway, so we should probably get back to cops. So anyway, so、okay. yes,、um, so we had police forces, but again, they're you know they're basically just doing their best to keep the peace in between you know whatever wars and conflicts are breaking out. Yeah, and it it kind of continues on what you see in um in Europe, and I think China works the same. Japan's a little little different. As a couple、always. other places, yeah,、mm-hmm. a couple other places are different, but when you get Kind of to the Renaissance, to the post-Renaissance, you really start to see the urban areas like explode,、mm-hmm. and you have these like huge where where you look at something like say London, 
would have a population equal to what the country would have had just like a hundred years prior. Yeah. So you get, yeah, you get these huge, insane kind of uh, like people crammed into an area. This is where you kind of start seeing an actual police force because you get those, the magistrates types, you get the, um, like the sheriff types are now, and there was a term, there was a term in England I can't remember for like basically sheriff of a town. Mm -hmm. And they're strictly dedicated to this one urban area and policing this one urban area. Okay. And that's, that again is, like I say, I think that's where you really get the the beginnings of the modern police forces it's a group of like the, these peacekeepers they're enforcing the the will of of society mm-hmm. the numbers are so huge that society is starting to be just as a matter of math removed from the monarchy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that there's so many levels of bureaucracy between you know the king or the queen and you know the people that you've you've really got kind of this self-sustaining system. Mm-hmm. That this is again because, and this is you're you're talking like post Magna Carta in Europe mm-hmm. kind of thing, right? Where you're actually you're recognizing, oh wait, humans have value in and of themselves. Yeah, these, sure, whatever. Yeah, what are these rights of which you speak? Kind of thing, <laughs> exactly. But but even then, mm-hmm. it's that idea of. Um, the individual is something apart from society. Society is apart from the individual, but there's a reciprocity. Right. Now we, we never quite find that balance. We still argue with it today, but the key is that you've got a world that operates regardless of, of the people in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That when the King or the queen dies and the new one steps in, all of society doesn't change like it would have say a hundred years prior. Right. That hmm. there's a system. There's a system in place that kind of perpetuates itself now. And again, it's not by design. It's kind of by happenstance. It's just you've got so many people and so many other people wanting to regulate them that hmm. everything kind of path of least resistance works its way into this weird maze of, of, of authority. Um, actually, by the way, the actual first centralized, centrally organized police force was created by King Louis the Fourteenth in sixteen sixty seven in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, they by royal edict in March fifteenth, sixteen sixty seven, he created the Lieutenant General de Police, uh, who was the head of the new Paris police force, ensuring the peace and quiet of the public and private individuals, purging the city of what may cause circumstances, procuring abundance, and having each and everyone live according to their station and their duties. Mm. There you go. So there's our That's first actual police uh, office, basically. Separate one in 1667 in Paris. Yeah, and it, <laughs> and it, it brings up another idea that why you're, you're seeing the development of these civil authorities like that. Mm-hmm. Is because this is all Paris was the largest city in Europe at that time, by the way. Yeah. And that meant there was um, a huge number of people that needed to be kept under control. Kind of. Well, okay, it's true. But there's something what I'm thinking specifically what you've got at this time that Mm -hmm. changes the game. And it's also why why were the uh, the cities the the huge reeking masses of humanity that they were? Oh, because the Industrial Revolution was starting. 
Yeah, because you had the the rise of a merchant class. Yes, mm-hmm. and and it wasn't just that they had the wealth because they had the wealth at this point. They actually had power. Yeah, yeah. And what a lot of urban policing was about was keeping the factories running and keeping the uh, ships coming in and out. That makes sense, actually. Yeah, because you need an ordered society to keep the to keep business going. Yep, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and it's it's also when you get like around the time of the industrial revolution, uh, even even before, like when you first start seeing urbanizing in like the fifteen hundreds, especially. Mm-hmm. It's again this idea that all of like um, your f- faith and power and wealth used to be your monarchy or mm-hmm. it used to be like the local baron but it was that idea that one person was the source of all power and 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 benefits and and affluence to the entire territory they controlled mm-hmm. when you had a merchant class you had the people who were doing basically all the legwork for, mm-hmm. for making the money happen going wait <laughs> why are we listening to that asshole we got right. the money yeah, I'll send I'll send my army to crush you. Good luck paying them. Oh yeah, that's right. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this this is why too. If you look in in Europe, uh, you had things like the Bohemian captivity of the church, mm-hmm. where the idea of uh, of the, the the Catholic Church paying taxes was such an issue that they just moved the head of the church to France because they said, fuck it, they're going to like make us pay less taxes. Screw you. Mm-hmm. And again, because you're you're seeing, this is where that idea of, of wealth is power mm-hmm. kicks in. Prior to that, it was, it was labor. Right. That labor generated wealth. If I had more peasants, I could mine more resources. I had a bigger army. Mm-hmm. Now this idea of, of a wealthy class who can do all kinds of stuff just because of their money. They can pay people. You're starting to see again that society's divvying up a little bit more. It's it's dividing. Authority is being split amongst all kinds of different groups. Mm-hmm. It all comes together in the cities. And because everybody's making a buck, that was a big part of what um what police as police were all about. That this order they were maintaining was no longer the order of the monarch. It was the order of of keep the money flowing kind of thing mm-hmm. okay that makes sense yeah at that and as i said at that point you need people to keep you know, to keep order to keep the peasants in line and the workers in line etc and that's mm-hmm. where the police come in mm-hmm. and that's and again that's a big part of it and that's that's it kind of sets the tone i think for mm-hmm. a lot of stuff one of the things you get at that era is there wouldn't be a police force. There's a bunch of them. Yeah, you find that sometimes. Yes, that's true. Yeah, and it's because like the the local mayor working through um and and again, once you get past the industrial revolution, you're also getting into uh bigger democratic societies. So the local mayor might be working through the the king, might be working through parliament. Mhm. Whoever the 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 big the big boss was, the the kind of like countrywide one they're using that authority and those resources to come up with a force of their own but then you'd have like different companies if you were a big enough company or like a big enough merchant family yeah you would have your own police force yep actually in uh, 
1828, according to this article, there were privately financed police units in no fewer than 45 parishes within a 10-mile radius of London. Yep. Think about that. So there are privately funded (laughs) police officers running around everywhere and presumably under mostly working for merchant groups. Yeah, or or different organizations like the uh, the the church had mm-hmm. theirs, right? Yeah, and because again, it was this idea that you know, oh, this police force thing is quite a, an idea. I'd like one of my own. Which is, if you go like five hundred years prior, is how like the military happened. When every rich guy would be like, oh, I'd like to have my men march around in shiny armor too. So then anybody who could had a regiment, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yep. And and. Oh, th- this is this is where where too. I think you're seeing what you were getting at. Mm-hmm. Where the the magistrates become judges. Yeah, because what happens is that's the way that your central authority maintains power and influence over all of these other groups who are essentially building their own little tiny, tiny like armies. Yeah, but they still have to report back to the judge. For, yep. with, for for punishment and everything you can arrest your police your private police force can arrest people but they're not actually allowed to punish people in theory um they're supposed to actually turn them over to the judges or the magistrate for actual yep. punishment yep and in, so in there theory. so now we've got the different levels mm-hmm. and that's again where it starts codifying because what um what people don't realize mm-hmm Back in the day when it came to, like, policing or, or fire departments worked the same way. Mm-hmm. When you get to, like, even, like, yeah, as recently as, like, the 1800s, they were private organizations. Yes. And this is why if you go to, like, really old buildings, you'll see these weird placards on them that have, like, symbols we'd associate with police and fire departments. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, this was not never a firehouse. Why does it have all these different fire department emblems on it? Uh-huh. And it's because essentially what you would do, wherever it was you lived, there'd be a couple of different police forces and there might be a couple of different fire brigades and such. Mm-hmm. And every month you paid a subscription fee. Yeah. So if your house caught fire and they show up and you don't have a placard for their fire department, they'd be like, well, okay, but if you give us a hundred bucks, we'll put it out right now. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, they'll sit there and watch it burn. Sometimes they just sit there and watch it burn. Yeah. And then what would happen is if different groups would show up, they'd fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that happened too. Yeah. And the police could work the same way that, you know, if if, um, I was a, 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 had a big store and it got robbed and I'm like, I'm offering a reward for catching this guy. Like three different police groups might start beating the shit out of each other <laughs> trying to get the jump start to find whoever it was robbed their place just because they want the reward. Exactly. Yeah. So there was not a big difference between police groups and private mercenary armies at that point. Yeah. And then don't forget too, that you had um, always bubbling in the background at this time was mm-hmm. the, uh, the angry mob. Mm-hmm. Who could happen as well? Like if if one of these like local police forces came in and arrested a popular citizen, you might have like an uprising. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It might be local, but because again, it, it as as Commander Sam Vimes once said, that's mm-hmm. the ultimate form of democracy: one man, one stick. Ah, <laughs> uh, Sam, that man knew what he was talking about. <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, but this Sam. but this is this is why if if you if you follow what ends up happening is eventually the 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 magistrates the the legal 
mm-hmm. branch specifically dedicated to the law itself of the local government starts taking more and more control of like the police and, and municipality things like the fire department and such. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because again, to maintain order and partly because they want to ensure it's their order. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And they want to make sure they get paid. <laughs> yeah. That's really what it comes down to in the end. I mean, they're basically just legalized uh, mobs, basically, or mobsters at that point. Yeah, and it, it, mobster might not be kind of the, the right term. They're they're mercenaries. Well, yeah, they're mercenaries. Okay, F- fair enough. Okay, but eventually what happens is the, the crown catches on that having all these, like, different groups is not such a great idea. And mm-hmm. so they begin having groups that are paid for by tax dollars. Yeah, and then and then that's the idea being that you can codify all of your legal enforcement in one place and set it to one standard. Mm-hmm, exactly. And then behind the scenes is the idea that that can be the standard of the the dominant power of the time, be it like the a monarch or a president or a parliament or whatever it is at that point in time you have in charge. Exactly. And on September 29th, 1829, in London, England, the first modern and professional police force in the world, the Metropolitan Police Force, was formed. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, of course, a, politi- a politically neutral police force made for the maintenance of social order, uh, paid for, of course, by the public so there we go. And they're the first police force as we understand them today. Mm-hmm. I think it was Jeremy. Uh, they were influenced by Jeremy Bentham, but they're actually created by who actually made them. Uh, I'm just going. Oh, Sir Robert. Sir Robert Peel mm. uh, was home secretary and who set it up. There we go. And uh, so he, he said he set it up. So there we go. Um So there we have our police forces as we go today. And then we start going into the future. So, we better start actually talking. We haven't even gotten to popular culture yet, so we better get moving along here. <laughs> well, we're, well, kind of, in some ways, we've, we've brought it up because mm-hmm. we did mention Robin Hood. We did, exactly. That scoundrel. Yeah, and, <laughs> and this this is where the idea of how you're depicting the police is going to be dependent on mm-hmm. what your views of society as a whole are. Right. And that this is why if you look at the back and forth about how police happened as mm-hmm. a thing, and it's funny to think that what we think of as, as ubiquitous mm-hmm. is only really like 150, 200 years old. Yeah, it's hard to believe, really. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think people realize how disorganized society really was prior to the modern era we live in. <laughs> yeah, which is just so organized. <laughs> I, Which is a scary thought in and of itself. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Because cause in a weird, wacky kind of way, when you look at the history of police, mm-hmm. it's like 2,100 years of starting with the town watch and then just getting back to a bigger version of the town watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. We basically go through that cycle, yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, because there's so much complexity that comes and goes, it takes that long to get back to that that idea of you know a dedicated town watch. Well, in fairness, they did go through a fair amount of upheaval in Europe and, yeah, everywhere. and re- everywhere. I mean, you know, the Mongols and everything else. You know, there were there were a few issues that rose up during that time. China would probably have actually gotten one way earlier than even Europe did. But the Mongols kind of messed that up. Yeah. Twice. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, 
I mean, at what in the was it 1300s? Well, just before the Mongol invasion, uh, Hangzhou in China had a million people. It was the largest city on the planet. Yeah, and I would imagine that they must have had some kind of dedicated police force at that point. You can't have a city of a million people without some form of policing system. Yeah, they did. China's, I think, a little different because they sort of discovered um, the concept of organized government way before we did. Yes, they did. Well, they had a lot of time to work it out. Yeah, but it, but because it was that idea that um, they had an emperor, mm. but they had this huge bureaucracy under the emperor. Whereas for the longest time in in Europe, you had like the 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 king or the queen, mm. and then everybody did what they said. It was just a matter of having the the system to say it loud enough that everybody in your territory could hear it. Pretty much, yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm. Were they, we were still more tribal, whereas the Chinese... But again, they had an advantage. Depending on who you ask, the Chinese civilization might have started uh, about 12,000 years ago. So, I mean, mm -hmm. give or take. So they, they had a lot of time to slowly warm up to it. And plus, of course, they had a fertile environment like the, the central plains of China. And, and anyway, the point is, mm -hmm. is that they had a, a better environment to slowly kind of work that stuff out over time. And yeah. Europe kind of had to put it together kind of quick after the Roman Empire fell, or well, ish, about 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Um, although he and the Romans did a pretty good job 2,000 years ago themselves. I mean, they did it as we started out saying they had the watch and everything else. So, so now we get to the modern era of policing. And mm -hmm. um, now I don't know, and I don't think Don does either, who the very first uh, cop in popular culture was. We do know that um, police officers did appear in dime store novels that start around 1800 or so, maybe a bit earlier. Uh, you get the Penny Dreadfuls, you get the dime store books, basically pulp magazines, effectively. Yeah. And uh, we do know that there are police characters in those stories, or at least law, correction, law enforcement characters, because mm -hmm. the police themselves so it wouldn't <laughs> come out about, it wouldn't come about in, around until 1829, but... It definitely did not take long before, for example, there were stories of uh, law enforcers on in the Wild West, you know, the American frontier, all of that kind of thing. Once that started to be popularized and romanticized and whatever. Um, yeah. And we also know that the very first uh, detective uh, was from Murders in the Rue Morgue. That would be Auguste Dupin. And that pop and he popped up in... 1841 mm -hmm. and he's considered to by many to be the very first uh detective but again he's a private detective he's not actually a police officer although having read his stories there are i believe police officers in that story but there are yeah. they do they do have police officers they have local law enforcement that he i believe interacts with in his stories there's only two or three stories about him if i remember right um yeah, yeah continue sorry oh um yeah, because what what you're 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 hitting at there, because mm -hmm. here in, in the Americas you had like the old West sheriff, yeah, and that really is because you, you had things that, like I say, they were pretty much police mm -hmm. that went went way back. When you're looking at pop culture, the sheriff is a good example because they kind of they kind of bridge a gap mm -hmm. that they're enforcing the law, right, but they typically are of the people. Right, yeah. 
like the the sheriff like the will will deputize people like that was the the old west posse is basically the sheriff saying oh the baker boys are heading to the mill everybody grab a horse and but now you're all cops but even the sheriff is just elected by the local people he's just a representative of the people yeah generally because it's that idea that he has authority because Mm -hmm. it's given to him yeah by the people he's enforcing right there's an idea from back around that time, like the the like the old West like dime novels and that mm-hmm. that gets a little closer to the idea of a cop story, and that was the Pinkertons. Oh right, yes, that's true. Well, who were a real group, of course, too. Yeah, and and they were basically they're they're private detective is the best way of, of yeah. Looking they were at private. It. They were they were a private detective agency, and the America's private detective agencies were a big thing for a while. Because that's, in many cases, that's the only way you could track down many interstate criminals and such was through private detective agencies. Yep. And then and then that was the idea that they worked like we'd think as a police, but again, they were a private company, but that was yes. how, how it worked. What, because it's, it's, how to explain it? Mm-hmm. There's, there's an attitude at the time. Mm-hmm. Amongst the general public, like, a distrust of the police. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of the reasons why, when you look at, say, murders in the Rue Morgue, it's not a cop that's the hero. It's this private citizen Actually, that's I working. can tell you who the first, uh, in literature anyway, not necessarily dime novels, but there's a, a book called The Moonstone, whose author I'm blanking on at the moment, but it appears in uh, 1868, and okay. it's considered the first police detective novel. The one first one is focused on an actual police officer, and in the English language anyway, and mm-hmm. is uh, it features a Scotland Yard detective, and that's considered to be basically the very first like police officer novel as we'd know it. Okay. Again, in literature, I'm probably there are probably some dime novels and such prior to him. Yeah, there are, but again, it was this this individual, mm-hmm. like like basically civilian. That was typically the hero because, like I say, a lot of what the uh, the police at the time were doing because they were either being paid by like a rich guy or the government was kowtowing to the local like merchants. Mm-hmm. They were always seen as the people that were here to make your life harder and disrupt your fun. Yeah, yeah. Like that goes back to Robin Hood. Like that was the whole idea that the evil sheriff was taking all of your money and stuff and Right, yeah. They're just basically just there to be killjoys. Well, they're here, they're the they're the bosses enforcers basically. Yeah. And it's it's I think that's why you get that proliferation like uh, a few years later you get Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. who's the most famous of these consulting detectives. And again, he's a civilian. He's he he's not a co- he has no authority or anything really. Just Yep. He happens to be smarter than the guys who are supposed to be investigating, so he ends up being the hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And because he, oh, go ahead. And and if you get the chance, actually, I, having recently been going through them again, the Sherlock Holmes mysteries are fantastic. Sorry, just I just had to put oh. that in. <laughs> I'm a fan. Now, see, see, I disagree. I never liked Holmes, but I think it's because he's a dick. Oh, he's a total dick. But that's kind of <laughs> the point, right? Um, here, you know who Holmes is? He's kind of Deadpool. He's a Victorian <laughs> version of Deadpool. That's what he is. He basically he basically exists to make fun of the police. 
and the establishment at that time. Like the establishment, you know, because it's not, everyone remembers Lestrade, but what you forget is actually there's about three or four Scotland uh, Yard detectives that come to homes. It's not always Lestrade. He's just one of them. And they're mm-hmm. always showing up with their hat in their hands, basically saying, yeah, we can't figure this out. And Holmes is like, oh, you idiots, fine. And then he, <laughs> co- and he goes over, and just because he's bored, he goes and solves the problem. That, but that's, that's, that's Holmes right there. I mean, he's basically there to make fun of the establishment, I'd argue. That's a good point. I never thought of him as dead. Like, he never crop dusted no lady or nothing. But no, I think that's... Uh... <laughs> That we know of. <laughs> no. Oh, I don't know. If, you know something? If Holmes was bored enough, he might actually do it. He's one of those characters, actually. <laughs> oh, that's creepy. But, you know, you're right. <laughs> but see, but see, even then, it's like you say, he was kind of there to show up the police. Yeah, exactly. He's there to kind of show up the police and to kind of mock them a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that's kind of a running theme. Um Mm-hmm. We, we were discussing uh, before recording mm-hmm. the the first, you know, like there aren't very many examples, at least not widely known ones of, of actual police in mm-hmm. pop culture in, right. in like the early days like that. That's true. Because we talked about um, one of the earliest ones I found was the Keystone Cops. Right. Yeah, there we go. From uh, 1912. Right. Yep. And, and of course, they are, of course, a comedy setup, uh, as for those who aren't familiar. Um, they're a bunch of bumbling cops. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, like, Keystone Cops is an insult that I've heard used against different, like, regulatory forces over the years. Yeah, there's a reason the term is still in use, because that, yeah, it's a mocking, mocking way to describe the police. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yep. That's yeah. The key, the Keystone cops. And so I don't know why they're called Keystone. I think that that's the area or something like that, that they, that they're supposed to be patrolling Keystone yeah. city or whatever. Yeah, and yeah, they're a bunch the of idiots. District. Yeah. Cause there's another catch with this too. Mm-hmm. Um, that public opinion in, in the early days for the most part of like the police was pretty low. And that's one of the reasons uh, people wonder where the the stereotype of the Italian, the not Italian, of the uh, Irish cop comes from. Mm-hmm. It was because in the eighteen hundreds, it was considered a crappy job. Yeah, it was a really crappy job. And remember when you had that big wave of of Irish immigration, they were looked down upon. Mm-hmm. And cop was like the only job they could get, and that was why you had so many irish people in like the uh the police forces in, in north america at the time yep yep ironically enough they were running both the police and the mob for quite a while there yeah well that's convenient right <laughs> it kind of works they're playing both ends of the stick mm-hmm. so yeah yep no that and that makes absolute perfect sense and remember of course that the cops in this is the industrial age we're in now, right? So the cops mm-hmm. are often the guys who are in charge of busting workers' heads who are being unruly or causing problems or whatever. Those yeah. who are disrupting the system or doing things like trying to unionize, what well, was the police that they sent in to, to uh, deal with them? Yeah, and again, it was it was that idea of um, that the, uh, the benefit of, of commerce, the benefit of the economy was the big picture benefit. Mm-hmm. And if the little people had to get their heads busted, then, you know, so be it. That was kind of the attitude. Yep, exactly. And 
and then you had at the time now a little bit of sympathy for the devil as it were you had at the time here were the cops being ordered to go into sometimes their own neighborhoods and beat up people they've known for years and they were stuck because again they were in this 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 job mm-hmm. that was considered undesirable and a lot of them were considered undesirable so you're stuck this is you don't have a choice it's this or your family starves to death in the streets yeah yeah pretty much and so there's there's a reason that people didn't like the cops for most mm-hmm. of human history actually <laughs> and especially not the last couple hundred years the cops were mm-hmm. just not people's friends and in fact you could actually make a very good argument i think we might be later on that actually the rise of the police officer in popular culture not just the keystone cops but you know the actual the noble police officer in popular culture may have actually been almost uh may have actually reformed them or reformed people's opinions of the police Mm -hmm. that in many ways our ideas of the police as a you know, upstanding citizens just trying to do their best and everything. That's actually, I'm not saying that there aren't real police like that, okay? But I am saying that for a long time, the police uh, were not looked upon favorably by the population. But it is interesting how once we get into the rise of police dramas on radio and movies and eventually television and such, the image of police officers tends to become much better. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think, too, you, you see there's different kind of uh, societal effects. Mm-hmm, definitely. Like, when you get to, like, uh, what we were just talking about, like, the cops being used to bust up union meetings and strikes. Mm-hmm. A lot of what was happening was things were pretty bad for the people at the, the bottom. That is, most of us. Yes. Even they were really good for people at the top. Like, that gets you into, say, like, the 1920s and that. Mm-hmm where everybody sees it as a period of affluence and it was for a small group of people right like most of us were like bust on our ass at like you know tough jobs for enough pay to get by kind of thing Mm -hmm. and that was historical like that that goes back to to uh even like the 1700s and that when you had the big wave of of urbanization people would move to the cities hoping for a job but there were so many people that those rates were low because the folks working in the factories, you were always replaceable. Mm, Exactly. And that was why you didn't have safety standards because if, you know, like that little eight year old replacing Bobbins got his arm stuck in the giant sewing machine and was now crippled. I don't care. Get out. I find a six year old. It'll do your job for half the pay, which I kind of wish was a joke, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) thank you, Mr. Burns. Yeah. And then that's, that's part of the reason why I think, you had police looked down upon was because they were enforcing what was seen to be the will of these people that were, were Mm -hmm. keeping everybody else down. Yeah. Yeah. There's no question. And so why would people like them? Mm -hmm. But eventually though, we start to get characters like in 1931, we get, uh, Dick Tracy. And you know what? He's Dick Tracy is like, until you get to after World War II, Dick Tracy's like the only sympathetic cop character I could find. Really? Yeah, like there's... Because again, there just weren't that many. And the funny thing is, mm-hmm. Dick Tracy didn't start out as a cop. He didn't? I didn't know that. No, the very first story, he's just a schmo. And what ends up happening is him and his fiance go to visit her family. Mm-hmm. And a guy breaks in and, and kills his his future, you know, potential, I guess potential, uh, father-in-law. 
Oh, okay. And Dick Tracy leads the charge and catches this guy and decides, you know, this is for me. I'm going to be a cop. And then he goes to the academy and becomes like a, like a, like an actual officer. So he was intended to be a cop, but he did, but he, we get his origin story in the first story. Yeah. I'm, I'm not exactly sure if that's how it went. Cause uh, Chester Gould was a really hardcore law and order type guy. Mm-hmm. And he made up Dick Tracy. And that's one of the reasons why in Dick Tracy, the villain always has a gruesome, graphic, horrifying death that takes a number of days. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, very few Dick Tracy villains just get shot and they die. They have to, like, drown to death over, like, a week's worth of comics. Or they they have to get trapped somewhere and suffocate. And and, and there's still, like, an orbitable moon bus that has a group of dead villains in it and the Dick Tracy continuity orbiting the Earth. But... My favorite was the guy who got trapped in the chimney. I think that was Flat Top. Oh. No, Flat Top drowned. He was under the uh, the replica. I believe it was the replica of the Constitution. Oh, okay. Who and was the one who... Oh, sorry. Go. Sorry. Oh, he swum underneath it. And he got stuck on a nail and then he drowned. Oh, right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Who was the one then who got stuck in the chimney? And he basically ended, and he ended up being tortured by bees. Oh, and yeah. then And then they eventually... And then someone started the fire underneath in the chimney yeah. and so he got basically smoked to death and stung to death oh i don't remember who that was i was gonna say the brow but no the brow got impaled on an american flag hanging outside of a building when he fell are, are you it's just, we're just giving examples folks of exactly how they, they don's not kidding they really all to die in the most horrible twisted ways they really they do. do oh who was it uh oh was it bbi's that was trying to escape Dick Tracy at a theater, and they were having it was because uh, this is again these are like from like the thirties and forties. Oh, you know why I think the chimney guy was? I'm thinking. I think it was eighty eight keys. Oh uh, yeah, it might have been. I think it was eighty eight keys. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of and those aren't even the the worst ones because like I know. flat flat top's daughter burns to death. Yep. Again, over course of a week. <laughs> so, like, By the way, when we say over a course of the week, folks, it was a daily comic strip, and it's only got a couple yeah. panel, three like three panels a day. So the characters <laughs> don't just don't die in one episode. They we basically get to watch them struggle and yeah. and slowly and slowly succumb to death. That's just kind of how it works. <laughs> yeah, and again, it was it was because I've I've said that Chester Gould, because he was such a Law and Order type, he thought that the villain. That mm-hmm. the criminal should be punished, and they yeah. were. He wanted to but make he, it clear, crime does not pay. Yeah. But even then, Dick Tracy comes out of kind of that, like, adventurer idea mm-hmm. that you had. He does. Yeah, that's true. He, he's he's a plainclothes detective, which means he's effectively a uh, freelance adventurer who works for the cops. Yeah, because that was what you had before. Um, we Again, we were talking before recording about a uh, Bulldog Drummond. Mm-hmm. Who's a template for a lot of like the two-fisted action hero kind of characters that would come later. He came out in 1920. Right. In the first story, he was a cop mm-hmm. and nobody cared. The story was super unpopular. So the guy who did it was uh, H.C. Uh, H. McNeely. Mm-hmm. Rewrote the character to be one of these like, you know, gentleman adventurer, Doc Savage type guys. And everybody fucking loved it. Yep. And, well, and that was the age of pulp adventurers, right? Yep, and the age of you know we don't like the police kind of thing. Hmm. I see and your that's point. Where, yeah, and that's where I say Dick Tracy seems to be kind of the turning point because mm-hmm. he starts as one of those guys, but he fairly quickly becomes an actual 
badge-carrying law officer. Right, and at different stages, he can he lit, he's very much connected with the police. They you know, he's got all these police characters that are around him that are supporting him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he is very much a police officer and part yeah. of the system. Yeah, he's he still borrows liberally from the adventure thing because uh, when you get like post World War II, like everybody remembers the two way wrist radio. Yep, of course. Oh my god, it's like a walkie-talkie on my wrist, and it's only the size of, like, a giant watch, and it, I can talk to somebody, like, miles away. Genius. But mm. the gadgetry comes into it, and again, that was something from, you know, like, your your pulp-era Doc Savage science, two-fisted scientist adventurer thing. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of the investigations and that, like, Dick Tracy was nominally a cop, but it didn't work like how police work in real life. It never did. Right. And again, it's it's because it's it's using not just the trappings of police, because again, it was very more police oriented. And like you said, the backup characters were more realistic, I guess, maybe. Ish. I mean, he did work Ish. out of a police station. He had other cop yeah. characters around him. Yeah. But he himself was the two-fisted adventurer guy that was yeah. using his gadgets and his wits to go in and... Well, I was going to say punch out. He didn't punch out the villain. Usually, yeah, something horrible happened. Well, he basically drove him to his death, would be the, or her, to their death, <laughs> as the case may be. Like, basically, that's what he was doing. He was pursuing them until the villain eventually, because Tracy, I don't think, really killed any of the villains. I think they all, they all basically uh, met their own fate, usually trying to escape him. Yep, because there was a, an interview with Chester, Chester Gould where he said that, that he even let the bad guy shoot first all the time. Mm. And that was one of the reasons was because it showed that despite the disturbingly horrifying everything that happened in those comics, mm-hmm. that Dick Tracy himself was incorruptible, that he, he was definitely the hero on the side of the angels. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, well, uh, and it's, maybe he was the peak. Well, actually, no, no. The peak would be... Um, so after Tracy, as far as I know, the next biggest police thing that happens is dragnet ah okay yeah Uh, a dragnet and in many ways uh from what i've read uh dragnet is actually considered to be the first uh successful major police drama on television now it's not the first police Mm -hmm. drama on television there's a catch with that there was one called stand by for crime right the predates dragnet about two years but there's a catch. Dragnet as a radio show was running at the same time. But then yeah. in 51, we get Dragnet. And Dragnet is the one that, you know, is the first show that, that is a true police drama as we would recognize it. Keep in mind that yeah. television has only been available to the general public for a few years, too. Yeah, I think uh, when you mentioned that it was a radio play, there were... In the radio play era, I do mm-hmm. think is where you did start to really see... Uh, police characters proper. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you a did. Lot, yeah, a lot of times they wouldn't be like uh, city police characters. They would be like, say, federal officers or that. Yeah, I'm sh- I'm sure you did. And right now, somewhere somewhere in the background, Jack Ward is yelling at us the names <laughs> of a bunch of different radio play cops right now. Hi, Jack. How you doing? Um, <laughs> That's exactly that, that, what I was thinking. <laughs> that, that, that we're... Uh, that we're overlooking at this point. But yes, I'm yeah. sure there were probably, well, there would have been, there were definitely some uh, Wild West ones. There would have been some Texas Rangers. I can't mm. 
Uh, there would have been some... Here, Radio Plays did every kind of drama you can imagine. And I'm yeah. very, very sure that they actually did do uh, many different kinds of police dramas as well. I've even heard a few that were actually myself that were more, almost more like uh, what we call docudramas. Where mm. they were uh, they're on radio, but they were basically reenacting you know, events. They were reenacting supposedly true crime stuff. You know, yeah. even though Serial and all the others are really popular right now where they're hunting down, you know, the do- tra- docudrama hunting down. No, they were doing that back in the 1930s, folks, and the, and the yeah. 1940s on well, radio. That's, that's not new. And comics, because the crime comics yep. were super popular, like in like the 30s going into the 40s. Yes. Yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. So, so no, there were definitely uh, police stories going on at that point. And the police were, were around. I mean, you know, they had police characters and such. But I, it does look like that Dragnet was a really big deal, though. That Dragnet yeah. really did change a lot of things. And a lot because remember, Dragnet's the first one that's being broadcast into your home and you can see it. Yeah. I mean, probably, we're, there's probably one or two movie cop characters we're probably overlooking. But yeah, as far as that goes, I, I think that Dragnet is the one. Because it's kind of the one that establishes the idea of the, that these are supposed to be real police officers engaged in real police, you know, investigations and such. Yeah, because there were, there were old movie serials. Mm-hmm. That, and that's why I say, um, oh, I can't remember the name. There's one in particular. It's bugging I can't remember the name. But there were movie serials. And I think, again, I think Dick Tracy's what started the, opened the floodgates mm-hmm. that let you do sympathetic police characters. Right. And there were, there were yeah, because, oh, I can't remember the name. The serials, though, like I said, they were mostly um, like federal agents kind of thing. Yeah. There, well, or, there were like G-Men serials and such. Yeah. If, is that what you're talking about? The G-Men yeah. serials? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Which, of and course, that, are basically, they're, they're FBI agents, basically, running around. Yeah. Because that was that was the reaction when you get into like the 30s and the depression and that, even in the 20s, you had a lot of mobsters in real life that were mm-hmm. were like that Robin Hood kind of figure. Right. Yeah. And then you would always because whenever you have a big reaction, you always have a counter reaction. And then I was where I think after Dick Tracy, it was okay to do like the the feds busting all of these guys because it showed that the the uh, there was an audience. For the other side of that issue kind of thing. Right. Exactly. But, but yeah, because Dragnet was too, I think that was the first time it was really like the city cops. That Well, that, it goes beyond that, right? I mean, the guy, uh, Jack Webb, who created it, was basically obsessed with making it as authentic as he possibly could in its way. The stories mm-hmm. were adapted from the files of the Los Angeles police. Yeah. Um, and at the, at the beginning of every episode, at least the early ones, it said, what you're about to see is true. Only the names yeah. have been changed to protect the innocent. That's from Dragnet. Yeah, you, that's you, true. You've even, you, you even used that, and it's from Dragnet. <laughs> well, everybody's used it, but like I say, I think this is the first time a lot of people who aren't 50 are, oh, wait, that's from something? I yeah, it's, actually, it's from Dragnet, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and so Dragnet is the one that really changed everything because it, it presented quote unquote real police doing, you know, real police stuff. Yeah. And of course they were hard nosed, the hard nosed detectives who are, there are still detectives. That is true. They're not beat cops, but they're Mm -hmm. still in there fighting the good fight. Um, they're law and order types who only believe in truth, justice in the American way. And on it goes. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And I think that that really changes people's perceptions of police at that time. Keep in mind, though, this is also the Law and Order era, the 1950s. Yeah. So that that kind of works out because you've got an entire generation that's just come back from World War II, at least of the male side and everything. So, uh, society is kind of booming and... Overall, the times are pretty good. Everyone just wants to live a peaceful life for the most part, except for those juvenile delinquents and, mm-hmm. you know, those, uh, uh and minorities. Um, and so, and well, they want to live a peaceful life too. They're just not getting one. Um, the yeah. point is, is that, you know, so society is a little more uptight. So we got, you know, the, so Dragnet fits right in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that might even tie in with like what you were getting at. It was that idea that, mm-hmm. There's a reciprocity mm-hmm. because you have this kind of perception of order in society in general. Mm-hmm. People are more sympathetic to the the bastions of order because they're feeling the benefits of it. Not like when you go back to the 1800s where they're on the shitty end of the uh, the societal stick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you get this portrayal because because they were like the the dragnet cops really were the 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 Dick Tracy square jawed incorruptible types. They were absolutely yeah. And then that puts the idea in people's heads that maybe this is okay, and it starts changing public opinion about you know law officers in general. Exactly. Like, oh, these guys are just trying to do their best. They're just trying to help ever all of us. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's presented as. Uh, as real as possible. There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was spawned huge numbers of imitators. You have to understand Dragnet <laughs> was like the most popular thing ever to give you an idea. It spawned, uh, let's see the lineup highway patrol, state trooper, Harbor command M squad and naked city. Mm-hmm. Those are just within the decade after. Oh, there's, there's more. There's, there's, there were so By the way, the last one, Naked City, is where the line comes from. There are 8 million stories in the Naked City. This has been one of them. Yeah. So, and at the same time, of course, we've also got the Westerns that are on TV, especially when we get to the 1960s. And Mm -hmm. there's a huge number of them are all, and 50s too, and they're all about, you know, sheriffs, basically. In one form or another. Not all of them, but a lot of them have sheriffs. And, of course, the sheriffs are usually just doing their best to get by. Yeah, because what's the uh, the, probably the biggest, most famous? Gunsmoke and uh, the Lone Ranger. Yep. Yep. Both of which are radio programs, too. Yep. And why is he the Lone Ranger? Well, because he was a lawman. He's the last survivor of, like, his group that got ambushed. Yep, exactly. And so now he's turned into a two-fisted dealer of justice with his silver bullets. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so now we're getting all kinds and mixes of lawmen, but for the most part, they are, you know, they're straight up uncorruptible lawmen. Yep. And we will continue to get that kind of cop for quite a while, actually. Well, I'm going to say yes and no. Well, things are going to slowly change as we get into the 1960s and eventually to the 70s. Yeah, because you mentioned... You mentioned Dragnet, mm-hmm. and like we we talked about, like in the uh, the Crooks episode, there's mm-hmm. two versions because the original one runs from fifty one to fifty nine. That's true. And then in sixty seven they bring it back, and the sixty seven one is different because a lot of people thought it was camp. Because if I remember right, isn't the sixty seven one the one with Colonel Potter from Mash? Yep. And that one's where he's playing it so straight. That it comes across almost as campy. Yeah, and, and I think what part of it is what happened is there's still 
doing it a lot like the original one, but times mm-hmm. have changed. This is the late sixties. You know, you had the cultural revolution, you know, mm. again, it's like, there's the man, man. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is why you get that. It, the, 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 the new dragnet, like I say, it feels really weird. It, it's, it's colorized like the, uh, the 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 na 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 Batman. Mm-hmm. Well, c- color TV is just coming in. It is, but they kind of use kind of that that same sort of it's like muted pastel kind of colors. It looks like in that. So mm-hmm. I think again, because society has changed, that the image of of law and order means something different yet again. You get yep. you get that change, and then what you also get coming out of that is. That's the era of the TV detective. Yeah, it is. If you're talking about the 1960s, definitely. Well, 60s going into the 70s. Yeah, 60s going into the 70s. Yeah, that's true. And I and I think, again, that was that idea of um, the people had a taste for these crime stories. Mm-hmm. But they were kind of losing their... Um, the, the cops weren't the heroes anymore to the, to the people. So it mm-hmm. shunts over to that idea, that Sherlock Holmes thing, like, okay, why is a married couple solving crime? Like, who who let them into the crime scene kind of thing? Yeah, there was a lot of that. Well, if I remember, if you're if you're talking about the one, I think you're talking, oh, you're talking about, oh, crap, what's the name of that one? Heart to Heart. Um, what? Heart to Heart. Oh, no, I, oh, actually, I was thinking of another wife. one. There it is, there McMillan so and Wife. Yes, things. that's the one I was thinking of. <laughs> there were so damn yeah, many they, of them. They st- yeah, yeah, they they really, yeah, McMillan, although in fairness, McMillan was actually, I think, the chief of police or something like that. And he his wife was just his really smart wife who came in and would help him with crimes. Yeah, because she was really smart. Because you had that kind of the prototype for all of them was Columbo. Yeah. And he was an actual investigator. But again, they played him more like, um, like the old uh, gentleman adventure isn't quite the right word. He was mm. Bulldog Drummond without the punching, really. But yeah, yeah, he yeah, was. Well, he, That's he, true. It's a good way to describe. Well, actually, him. you know who he was. He was uh, he was the American Hercule Poirot. Yeah, that's exactly what the he weird, was. That's the true. weird little guy who was kind of funny looking and seemed a bit behind the times, but always ended up, you know, being in control kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It was secret. You underestimated him, and he would always end up being in control. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's very true. And I think Columbo too was partly where you started to get the trope of the uh the hostile chief. Columbo, get in here. Yeah, except I don't think it was that bad, but I think it was like the chief and the other detectives. Like I say, they thought he was kind of a weirdo. Yeah, yeah. And prior to that, you wouldn't see that, that the the police force was one united whole and I mm-hmm. think that might be part of, like I say, he splits the difference and then you go into the 70s and you get all of those, those like, just, I'm just a guy who wanders in and solves crime for some reason at shows. Yes. And Columbo starts in 1968. Yeah. He ran from 68 to 78 on NBC. And the weird thing is the most episodes of Columbo are actually between 73 and 98 minutes. Yeah. Cause Col- they were like movies mm-hmm. of the Sorry. week. Yeah, basically, yeah. And they, they and they did a lot of them. Like most seasons they were doing six to eight of these things a year. Mm-hmm. So basically they're just yeah, this series of movies that they would do. And, and uh let's see, yeah, NBC Mystery Movie. Yeah. 
I think it was, sorry, NBC mystery movie. Because they used to have a mystery, these mystery movies. And he was, of course, one of several characters that would pop up in these mystery movie series. So if there's any, like, hardcore Mystery Science Theater 3000 fans out there, that's what Tom's reference constantly is to. Mm-hmm. Because it yep. starts with, uh, it was the the weird kind of, like, high-pitched whistling mm-hmm. music and just, a, like, a flashlight beam. And that's, if if you remember, Tom Servo makes that joke all the time whenever there's, like, a flashlight. That's what it's from. It's, it's right. from something. <laughs> Well, there we go. And, but as you say, Clumbo is in a weird way almost a throwback. Yeah. He's a throwback to that kind of character. And, you know, again, the idea of the, ind- not the police force doing its thing, but the indivi- the power of the individual to change the world. Yeah. Which, which is a big part, of course, of 1960s culture. We've gone back, for, we've gone from the group in the 1950s, society was group oriented, and by the 60s is coming along, the baby boomers are like wanting to change the world by themselves. Yep. And, uh, and the TV heroes of that era all represent that in one form or another. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, of course, Law and Order takes a new twisted turn when Dirty Harry Callahan comes on the scene. Yep. That's actually on my list too. That was the next important step. Because... And I think he hit at it too that at the time when you get into the seventies in in North America there was crime was pretty high. Mm-hmm. Uh, places like New York were were they were nuts. Like the the murder rate was astronomical. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think what you get when you get like a get your dirty hairy mm-hmm. is that idea, like you said, of the individual that can change things. Mm-hmm. It's the power of the individual. And it's also that idea of he's a cop, but the rest of the force is hostile to him. Mm-hmm. And it's that sense that the system itself has failed. We need these individuals to stand up and take control. And then, because after Dirty Harry, you get, again, just shitloads of like the, the tough guy renegade cop movies mm-hmm. and TV shows and that. Like we talked about that in the uh, in the criminal episode, how people were more sympathetic to the crooks. So the nature of, of the police that were chasing them had to change. Mm Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so, so what happens? Why does that, why does dirty Harry become such a huge hit then? Well, cause it's like uber violent. It's, there is that. It's a crazy action film. Part of the thing that the, um, because we talk all the time here about um, entertainment ecology, that mm-hmm. certain ideas only exist in certain societies. Otherwise, nobody would care and they'd die off. And again, I think it's that idea that people were seeing society as this violent, crime-riddled thing. Oh, that's true. And that was why, like, you also start seeing... This is also the era of, like, the slasher flick. Like, that mm-hmm. starts in the late 60s. And it's this idea that... Uh, people are in a more violent, f- like, frame of mind. The villains mm. are becoming worse. And to deal with them, it's okay if the cops are using their methods. If the cops are, like, leaning on people and slapping them around and stuff. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, no one knows it's actually the lead and the gasoline. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what they think was part of it. Yeah, I know. That's why I say that. Like, <laughs> no, no, it was the gasoline, every, every the lead in the gas driving everyone insane. I got some lead that'll sort you out. You know, that's, 
Well, there's also that lead that was solving <laughs> problems too. Yes, that's true. So, could, okay, because yeah, that's that's thing. Things had more of an an uh, of an edge than normal, and it it's 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 that weird dichotomy that you see mm-hmm. the the dawn of like the tough guy cop. Mm-hmm. But the consulting detective kind of is going the other way, that they're more jovial, they're more genial, um, little sillier, even though there there's murders, there's less of an edge. Well, it's not always that way. I mean, this is also the era of SWAT, yeah. for example, where we've got the cops who are now the heavily armed guys going out and uh, taking down terrorists and, you know, bringing for, bringing, uh, bring justice to the streets that's true actually and don't forget too that you had uh there was a lot of shows like that because you had the rookies yep. kojak yep. and what you're also seeing there is the idea that not only are the police getting tougher but they're starting to crack around the seams yes like that was one of the things like like one of the running gags in kojak is that he used to smoke like a chimney because of all the stress and mm-hmm. he can't smoke now. And that's why he always had a lollipop. Right. Yeah. Cause he, cause he couldn't smoke. It was, it was also the idea too. Like if you remember SWAT, they did episodes where um, mm-hmm. we'd recognize it as PTSD, but there was kind of a running thing where one of the, uh, I think he was one of the commanders was right. having these weird, like, like anger attacks because there's a scene where some guy says something to him in a bar and this giant brawl breaks out mm-hmm. and it's the stress of the job and that's something that you you start seeing in the actual like cop shows mm-hmm. so reality is slowly starting to filter in people want a little more grittiness with their cop shows. yeah in one direction and then like i said you had mm. the consulting detectives that were going totally in the other direction but you could make a very good argument that they're for different audiences. One is for the youth audience. One is for their parents. It could be, but then I'd, I'd say, I think you're right, but I think the confounding variables, which one is for which? I would say, well, that's a good point. The consulting detectives are and always have been for the senior crowd. Generally, yeah. I would say, generally, if you're a consulting detective, it's, remember, they're relatively nonviolent. They're usually somewhat, uh, they usually have a certain amount of joviality to them and humor to them. For the most part, they are for the more conservative traditional crowd. Mm-hmm. Whereas anything that involves like the street stuff, that's generally for the youth. Not always, but generally it's for the youth in one form or another. Yeah, I kind of think you're right, because I kind of think on television that changes in a few years. Oh, I don't know, dude. I can name off quite a few uh, consulting detective shows, and they're all basically targeted towards seniors. Some of them star seniors. <laughs> and one particular senior that shows up at a lot of murders for some reason. <laughs> Cabot Cove was the mo- was the murder capital of the United States during the 1980s and 90s. It really? Oh my god, it had to be, because there couldn't have been more than like 15,000 people in that city, and yet every week somebody else was dying. You're exactly right. That, well, she uh, correction. She did leave every second episode to go off to some other city where mysteriously a murder <laughs> would happen right where she was. Hmm. Coincidence? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the dark, gritty reboot of Murder She Wrote. Well, yeah, it's like Dexter. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, you wait, sir. You wait. <laughs> but but don't forget too, though. At that time, you did have consulting detective shows that mm-hmm. were 
that were I'm going to say more general audience. They but they swayed towards the younger because the biggest one of the time was probably well for a while was Magnum PI. Oh yeah, but you got but I would argue that those consoling detectives those are again those are pulp detectives. Yeah, Magnum. Um, what else? Knight Rider. And there's a whole you know, the whole slew of them. What? Riptide. Riptide, eventually, yeah. Riptide, all those. Those are all basically shows that are targeted towards a youth audience, but the truth is they're part of the pulp revival era that was going on in the nineteen late 1970s, early 1980s. Yeah, because don't forget, too, that the consulting detective uh, mm-hmm. genre on television becomes the 80s because that's what Miami Vice was. Yep. That's exactly right. And Miami Vice is another one that kind of transforms everything. Yeah. You could argue that Dirty Harry is the cop of the 70s, whereas Crockett and Tubbs, if I remember their mm-hmm. names are, um, are the are the cops of the 80s. Yeah. And what ends up happening, because there's a step in between. Mm-hmm. Because what... Okay, well, where did I miss? Oh, what happens on television in between is uh, Hill Street Blues. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, right, that's true. And what it did was, it was the Dirty Harry style show. Like, it was corrupt cops and violence and that. But it was an attempt to kind of get into the heads of these people and make them sympathetic. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. And then what happens when you get Miami Vice is kind of the exact opposite because it's taking the trappings of like the tough cop mm-hmm. show, mixing mm-hmm. them with the consulting detective, uh, dressing them up in the latest fashion and playing Phil Collins all the time. Yeah. So it's going where it looks like it's has those consequences, but again, it's kind of going that other way. Mm-hmm. I, I can totally see that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, it's, it's almost a throwback to like the dirty Harry stuff. But just with a but on TV with a slightly different style. Also, we also did forget Starsky and Hutch as well. Yeah, well, Starsky and Hutch too, because it comes out of that 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 seventies tough gritty cop thing. Because mm-hmm. when you get to the seventies, there's also um, another. I get. I'd say last gasp of the Law and Order type stuff. Mm-hmm. But it comes out weird because two shows that were were popular was Adam Twelve. Yes, and Chip. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And Chips, yeah. Chips being a little more on the comedy side, and it was, of course, super popular with young people. Yeah. Um, Adam-12 was more straight-up cop drama. You know, it was a police drama for the most part, but focused on guys out, you know, dealing with cases every episode. I grew up watching Adam-12. I remember it very well. Re- I watched reruns, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah, because Adam-12 is kind of a weird one because I think it was what they were sort of hoping Dragnet would have been when it came back. Mm. Cause Adam 12 was super square. Like they were old school, proper, incorruptible kind of cops. Yeah. Yeah. But it was presented in, in more of a way because they did get into the, the main character's personal lives. Mm-hmm. It was pretty, pretty white bread, but it was there. And in some ways it kind of, uh, set up Hill Street Blues because Hill Street Blues reconciles mm. the old school cop with the new school cop. Yeah, it does. I and agree. Adam 12 kind of, it didn't bring the, the new school Dirty Harry cop into it, but it took the old Dragnet Square cop 
a little bit down that road because you saw a little bit more of the behind the scenes kind of thing for them and you were a little more sympathetic. They weren't just two uptight guys with really short haircuts. Right, right. Well, I mean, Hill Street Blues, as you said, took us down the drama route and then Miami Vice just you know, shot us off back into the glitz and glamour because no one really wanted that hardcore drama anyway. Yeah, and then at, at movies too at this time, this is like the area of like the Schwartz and Cop. Yeah, well, it's a Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Which, again, it's I mean, it's that kind of... You know, the buddy cop film. Yeah. yeah. Tango and Cash. Eventually, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, true. And again, it's that idea that it, it goes to that kind of, like, cartoony sort of point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where the, the, the characters are the old pulp heroes again, dressed up as cops. Basically. I was just watching some stuff on Mammy Vice recently. Mm-hmm. It's not a show I ever cared much for, but I just came I came across a documentary on it, and so I was watching it just out of curiosity. And they were talking about how Miami Vice, if you actually watch the first season or so, it's okay, it's glammed up. There's no question on mm. that. But they are trying to do something that's for the time actually kind of gritty in its own way. Mm. Like, they are actually trying to be a little more gritty, but pretty much after the first season where it's, like, a little more, you know, gritty and tough and that, it became super popular, and then they just glam it up to all hell. Like, by the, by about the third season, they're, they're practically meeting aliens and stuff. It's just <laughs> like, whoa! It literally just kind of becomes the epitome of 80s silliness at, by about the third, se- third or fourth season. Yeah, and it, it had the TV problem that, you're going to keep it going as long as you can, but they would add drama. Yeah. But yeah. you can only have so many girlfriends get murdered by the crime boss before it's like, just don't date this guy. Like it, it, it starts looking <laughs> exactly. really weird that, Oh, we're doing this one again. You know? Yeah, exactly. And that's, and the, the actors didn't want to be there. And yeah. so they, they, you know, they were happy when it was a gritty drama show, but once it went to hell, they're like, damn it, I don't want to be on this show. And so they start phoning it in and it just fell apart. <laughs> but there was a time when Miami Vice was literally the most popular thing on television. Yeah, It was the show for a while and a scary number of people actually wanted to act and be those guys. Oh God, yeah. The, the cool cartini version of them. Yeah, do I ever remember that? Curse you 80s. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. as children of the 80s, we, oh yeah, we the Miami Vice. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Right. Okay. So, um, so we're moving right along because uh, we don't want to be here all night. Um, so, so Miami Vice comes along, and so the, the in the '80s, cops become this weird mix of like, vigilante types, and there's the law and order types. But it's the '80s, so it's natural for those to kind of coexist. How do cops change from there on? Well, there's there's something that happened because remember, the '80s was considered an uptime. Mm-hmm. Like, people had jobs and a couple extra bucks, and that was why they could waste money on stupid shit like white suits and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that was why I think, again, the police officer as a manifestation of society was not only popular, mm-hmm. but when you get to the Miami Vice area, they're given, like, in, impunity. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Like, that's that's the... The, 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 the characters, like I said, the shorts and cops that can do no wrong and can fire into a crowd at like downtown and just hit the, only the bad guy. And, you know, even though the chief is like, this means your badge hammer, you know, it never does because yeah, he, yep. the, you know, the, the tough cop guy is always right. No matter how like stupid his, his theory is and blah, blah, blah. 
Yep. One of the weird things that kind of happens near the end of the uh, the eighties mm-hmm. that I think throws a confounding variable into at least North America and in, into police and pop culture mm-hmm. is the big writer's strike. Oh, okay. Because what happens during the writer's strike is like, oh my god, we need something to fill time. So mm-hmm. somebody gets the idea, well, why don't we just have a camera guy follow around actual police? Oh, yes. And then you get the show Cops. Yep. Which is a camera guy following around the regular police. And it's super popular. Yep. Again, this is on the fledgling Fox network at this point, which is targeted towards, you know, mostly a young male 18 to 40 demographic basically mm-hmm. and so they loved the hell out of cops cops was like super popular yeah. and you're right and it kind of threw thing it through because suddenly we're looking at real cops mm-hmm. and people are loving it so what do the fictional cops do well a lot of them disappear yeah they do and I and I suddenly it becomes cheaper to do real cop shows than it is to do fictional cops yep. now the weird thing is cops wasn't cloned as much as you would think mm-hmm. and a lot of the clones don't happen till like cops comes out in 89 yes it does a yep. lot of the clones don't start until like more of the end of the 90s mm-hmm. um that's true no mind you there's a catch to that at the end of the 90s you're also seeing a bunch of uh wannabe tv networks popping up at that yeah. point and they're looking for content yeah and it's like, well, this cop stuff is like super cheap to make and people love the hell out of it. So let's make lots. Yep. And I think that's a big part of what's going on at that point. It's also, it's just, they need content and we're getting into, we're just getting into the re- era of reality TV at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what ends up happening when, when that show comes out and I don't think it's because of this, mm-hmm. that show only, right? but you kind of see people see that like the real police look more like Hill street blues than Miami vice. Mm. And a lot, a lot of the cop shows on TV kind of, they either disappear or they get weird. Cause this is, okay. this is getting into the era of like uh picket fences or mm-hmm. cop rock. Ugh. They do do some weird stuff. Yeah. Cop yeah. Rock. Because, <laughs> because you're you're looking for a way to keep like the 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 genre going, but they do do. Oh, what's that called? There's it's basically Hill Street Blues 2.0. What's that called? Oh, it pops up in the nineties. Yeah, that that comes a little later. That was uh, oh, that's NYPD Blue. There it is. Yes, mm-hmm. that's literally just Hill Street Blues again, basically. Yeah, and you got remember too. Around this time, you get Law and Order. Yes, that's the other important one to mention. Which, yep, that's Which true. is, it's kind of a weird hybrid of a cop show and a consulting detective show and a law show. All together. Yeah, it, and it's, it's, you see it later on because when you, you get to the spinoff series, they play out a lot like the old consulting detective shows. Yes, yeah, they do. Well, they, the one is basically Columbo. Oh, which one is it? Criminal Intent. Yeah. It's basically just Columbo. It really is. It plays out just like an episode of Columbo. It's just called Law and Order. Yeah. And stars this other schlubby guy instead of that schlubby guy. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it, it came out... What, what ends up happening in the early 90s, like a lot of the cop shows and that kind of disappear. In the movies, not as popular. Um, this is like the the the, the grunge era. 
So the man is keeping you down, man, becomes another kind of running theme. Mm-hmm. So I th- sure. I think that's one of the reasons why you kind of see a decline in stuff like this until you get near the end. When mm-hmm. you get all of these things that you're you're talking about, that you get like the the NYPD Blue. Actually, NYPD Blue was ninety three. Was it ninety three? It ran from ninety three to two thousand five. Okay, because I know there was a lot more of these shows popped up when you get like past ninety five and that. Because I I yes. remember them when we were in university. Like oh, yeah. near the end of university, and that was getting to the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. But again, it was that idea that something like NYPD Blue was pretty much not a cop show. Like it was about their their horrible lives and and yeah, that. it was a drama that was set in a police station, basically. Yeah. yeah, and I think again, it was because authority wasn't super popular at the time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and this was kind of a way to sort of bring them down to our level and then kind of not pay as much attention as we have to, to that kind of thing. Right. And so we get to the nineties and that goes on. And then are we going to talk about what happens in 2000? Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah there, there it is. Yeah, I th- uh, Cause that's, that's literally going to change everything. Yeah. I think there's, there's, there's a bit of a build up to that. Okay, let's talk about the build-up first, and we'll keep the audience in suspense. If you don't know what we're talking about, or can't guess, you'll find <laughs> out. Yeah, because what ends up happening is, for TV shows, mm-hmm. any kind of cop show tends to either be a drama, or it's going back to consulting detective kind of thing. Movies do the same mm-hmm. thing, because remember, a super popular movie at the beginning of this time was Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yeah, in the 90s, yep. That's and true. that's nominally a cop film, except everybody liked the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. And you kind of started to see that that idea, like the investigative story coming back. Like mm-hmm. what we're calling the consulting detective one. Because a lot of the movies, it would it it would be... It, it, there was a few, because again, Seven came out around this time and it was popular. And mm-hmm. they were police, but it was played up more like the like what we're calling the consulting detective, like the the McMillan and wife mm-hmm. heart to heart kind of thing. Like, why are you on this scene? Right. Yeah. And while they were actual police, they didn't do things very like realistically. Mm-hmm. And that I think leads up to somebody gets the idea to kind of try to do that. But mm-hmm. make it more realistic, and that's where we get. Do you want to say it? C S I. Well, the crime scene investigation. The first one. The, the first one. Yeah, the original. There's like a thousand of we, them. We have to. We have to be. We have to be very specific about this. <laughs> to be very specific, yeah. C S I, which would run for a whopping three hundred and thirty-seven episodes. I thought you were going to say seasons. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, I think if you take them no, all, only fifteen. Only 15 seasons, oh. but 337 episodes. <laughs> now, the thing is, to keep in mind is, it's actually a creation of Jerry Bruckheimer. Mm-hmm. Bruckheimer was originally uh, Michael Bay's partner. He's the guy who's responsible for uh, the movies Con Air, right. The Rock, um, oh, what's the uh, Armageddon. Mm. Um, I was going to say, you know, uh, Oil Workers in Space, Armageddon. And all those films, like all those ni- late 90s action films that everyone went nuts for, that's Brooke, oh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Those are Brookheimer and Bay films. 
you know, when when Michael Bay had an actual intelligent person backing him up and what he made. And so, and Brookheimer basically says, yeah, we can reinvent cop drama. And so that's what they do. Mm-hmm. And they create CSI. And, you know, they're not, and in a weird way, though, I would argue CSI is really just a fallback to uh, the consulting detective in some ways. Well, it's it's like a weird hybrid, but ultimately still, it's just a mystery series. Yeah, and, and I would put that forth too, because um, mm-hmm. one of the things that you've had happen with mm-hmm. with since the, the late 60s, with police stories, be them like movies or TV shows or, or whatnot, you really lose the thread on what it is that a cop does. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, it's the CSI, you've got these guys, okay, so they're the crime scene investigations guy. They're the guys that get the evidence. Yes. But they're also the lab technicians, which in real life is something different. Mm-hmm. Um, They also track down suspects and stuff, which is... Which is something yeah, different. Yeah, that's what a police detective does. And then they lead the fucking SWAT team as they break into the guy's house to arrest him, which is totally not what they would do, because training one of these guys is expensive. <laughs> You don't want to break them, like the exactly the the the, the, the and it. But it's because again, they're that consulting detective. They're the one man army that does everything. Even mm-hmm. though there's a team of them, they still do it. So like the inevitable super genius autistic young guy is still strapping on a mm-hmm. vest and a gun and leading the charge into the. No, that's not. Yeah, I know. And and like I say, it was a VG Cats comic that pointed out, no, they're more like Judge Dredd than they are police. And it's true. That's that's true. That's very true. <laughs> oh, I really thought, I thought, well, yeah, I, I, I know they're not realistic in any way, shape, or form. Mm. Not in any sense of the word realism. There's nothing real. In fact, actually, if I remember right, let me double check this. Uh, I'll see if I can find it. I'm positive CSI won a science fiction award at one point. <laughs> Let me see if I can find it. I, I, um, I think you're right, but I think it's for a sympathetic portrayal of nerds in an episode. I don't think it's it's for overall. Are you are you sure? No, because <laughs> because I because I could have sworn that it actually ran because it actually. Um, one because because I, it might actually be CSI Miami that won the Simba that won the the won the award. One of okay, hold on a sec. I'm gonna look this up. Don't keep talking. I'm gonna look this up because I'm positive CSI won. Uh, it, oh, let's see. Okay, I'll look at it. CSI. It would it would make sense again considering that, like in real life, all of those are very specialized jobs that have specialized training. Hold on, hold on. I'm almost Uh-oh. there. <laughs> um I have a scared. Okay, no, no, I think I found it. Um There it is. Academy of Science Fiction and Horror Films. Okay? USA 2005. A nominee best television series. CSI. Oh my god. Um Academy of Science Fiction if I had seen horror films, USA 2004. Winner Okay, of best of best science fiction, best network television series for science fiction. Wow. Um, because after all, I mean, let's face it, CSI, they do tests on that show that are literally take months and they do them in like minutes or hours. Yeah. 
all the time. And CSI famously is the show where, and I think it's an episode of CSI Miami, they find the bad guy by looking at the reflection of a, of a guy's eyes oh. in a, um, what was it? They, the camera of a toll booth caught this guy's eyes and they see his, and they use, they zoom in. It's, and that's, there's a running gag on the internet. Enhance, <laughs> enhance. Cause that's all they, they just keep enhancing until suddenly they're looking at this picture of this guy or what the guy is seeing which is the toll booth operator if i remember right or something who is actually the bad guy oh wow or some bizarre thing <laughs> like that and but th- they do admittedly have to run it through a cleanup enhancement program before they can actually see who it really is that's some good detective work <laughs> exactly <laughs> anyway sorry (laughs) (laughs) oh my god my ears um and it is just freaking insane it it really now my show was super popular but i mean they kind of perfected the new kind of uh, cop show and so that's why for a long time after csi every cop show pretty much is just csi yeah they're all just csi because why wouldn't you want to be yeah, there's there's that, and I think the 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 thing that kind of bugs me is that you've got a lot of people that think that's how it works in real life now. Well, that's why the uh, the forensic departments at various universities and schools across North America have to beat the people off with a stick because mm-hmm. everyone thinks that they're going to be the next CSI wonder investigator. Well, yeah, and they don't realize that no, it's about doing really boring stuff in labs. Mm-hmm. Really, it is. It's super boring. Go away. <laughs> That's that's really what it amounts to. I've even met a couple young people at the college and they're like, oh, I want to be a CSI. It's like, okay. Why do you want to join CSI? Because I want to drive crazy and shoot people. Oh, okay. And my favorite and my favorite question to ask them whenever they say that is, so how are you with blood <laughs> and, and rotting bodies and, and rotting corpses and such? And most of them, on, for their, to their credit, most of them will answer, oh, yeah, I hate the sight of blood. <laughs> hmm. And I look at them and go, yeah, and you want to be a CSI. Wait, what do you think a CSI does? <laughs> it's like, oh, I'll get used to it. Uh-huh. Okay, sure. Whatever. You might. There's you plenty. might. It could happen. Yeah, you, you might. Okay. <laughs> I don't think you quite get the job here, but. <laughs> exactly. But the truth is, those people who say that, no, they're not going to become CSIs. They'll never make it past the screening process. And I know it as well as. Hopefully they find that out eventually. Well, they, of course they're going to find it out eventually. <laughs> um, but hopefully they'll they'll find something else to do because, yeah, you're not going to be CSIs. Sorry, guys. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, there's partly because so damn many people want to be CSIs because of the damn show. The competition <laughs> is super fierce. And there's only so many jobs in being a CSI. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't helped, of course, that Discovery Channel and a bunch of other those other channels have also gotten their own, you know, um, quasi CSI shows that are, of course, you know, following cops around. Yeah. Of course, they followed them around for months and then edited it down into in like forty minutes. Yeah. So yeah, there we go. Um, meanwhile, in the in this time, of course, the uh, consulting detective shows have never gone away. Uh, we had Murder, She Wrote. We had uh, Matlock was big for a while. Um, for a while, there was uh, The Mentalist was huge. Yeah. That was one of the most popular things on TV for quite a while. Uh, Bones. There's always a consulting detective show on the air. Always. It's elementary, um, which is literally a consulting detective show. Um, there's always a couple there, mostly for the senior crowd. They never go away. Yeah. And the regular detectives are now just... 
either reality TV guys or or girls, or they're CSI wannabes for the most part, I'd say. Yeah, because, again, too, I find um, the last crop mm-hmm. of the uh, detective shows we had, they're all basically Columbo, because it was always, like, the weird little nebbish guy that, that's, like, a detective. Right. Because that was, like you said, that was a Law & Order criminal intent. The the mm-hmm. the one with the one guy, because they brought back the other character who it was supposed to be more of the two-fisted kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But the one guy, yeah, that was definitely that Columbo thing. There was, uh, oh, shoot, Monk. Right, yep, Monk. There's there's another consulting detective. Yeah, yeah he was, the usual. He was like, like Columbo, or correction, he was like Hercule Poirot by way of Columbo. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's it's always because the way they kind of differentiate them now it seems mm-hmm. if you're gonna for the score job tough action kind of thing they're gonna be like a some kind of copper agent if you want the weird quirky guy it's gonna be like a detective show yeah yeah pretty much now there have been some attempts to do other things like there was a true detective which people really loved as well mm-hmm. which is that's. I, I confess to having not watched it, but from what I understand, it that to me strikes something of more of in the here. It's basically uh, was it seven? Mm. It's you know, they're basically doing movie, some people who love the movie seven and are basically let's do TV series like that. Yeah. It's like okay, uh, there's a couple of those type shows. There was one Broad Church as well. Yeah, um, it's interesting though. I will say that one thing that TV cops have started to do is more of the idea of they're focusing on instead of on the micro instead of the macro mm-hmm. going back again to your thesis about how cop shows are actually examinations of society itself more and more we're seeing TV, some of these uh, high-end tv cop shows like for example i think it was Broadchurch. it's basically just about the disappearance of one kid yeah i can't remember if that's the one or if it's another that's and it's, one, so it's really that's one with the, the whole series is just about yeah, yeah. With the well, in um, at least the British one is the one with the doctor. I don't know if the American one had him too, because there is an American version, but I don't remember if he's in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, the point is, is that you you start to see more and more uh, shows that are basically about the core drama of how you know something like a child's disappearance affects people yeah. or affects a community, things like that. So we're starting to get some. I'd almost call them anti-cop shows. Where what what they really are is they're not exactly so much about the police. The police are investigating, but they're about they're literally dissecting society on like a super micro level. Mm-hmm. Huh. So we are seeing. I mean, we are in the new you know TV age of Netflix and everything else, where all these different competing interests are looking for content. So we are seeing cop shows of all kinds popping up again. Mm-hmm. And also, CSI has finally reached its end. Thank God. Which, which one? Um, <laughs> There's like a thousand I, of them. <laughs> I think they're all done. I don't think there's a single T- CSI show on the air. Oh, wow. I think that, just like Law & Order, I think they're all... Oh, no, wait, Law & Order still has criminal intent, or... Oh, Special Victims Unit, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. But I believe CSI is done. Yeah, there's no CSI show on the air. The last one that went on, was on the air was CSI Cyber. Oh, okay. Blink, gone. And that died a long yeah. time ago. My, my wife is an expert, and she just commented that behind me. <laughs> um, so... So CSI Cyber died a long time. So the truth is right now they're back in that phase where they're looking for what the next big cop show thing is going to be. Right. I think there's probably some still CSI wannabes being made, but actually most of them are all gone. I think even most of them are gone too. I'm not sure hmm. 
what the current most popular cop show on the air. I'd have to go look, but because uh, I, I I confessed and having kind of burnt out on them a long time ago, so I I don't generally watch them. But uh, I think they're kind of fishing around to see what they can come up with at this point. I don't think there's one big one that's. I don't even think there's a big consulting detective show on right now. Uh yeah, wasn't there a bunch of Sherlock Holmeses? In the last couple of years? There was. There was Elementary, cause, and that got big because the British one. But the British Sherlock Holmes, that's like back in, I think, 2012, okay. isn't it? Sherlock is 2010. Wow. So we're already long past that. Like, I'm not kidding when I say, yeah, they're, I don't know what the, I, I truly confess, I don't know what the current big cop show is at the moment because I don't think there is one. I don't think there's one that's kind of like dominating itself yeah. over everything. I think we're we're kind of on a downturn as far as cop shows. Like the only one that anyone ever talks about really is probably uh, True Detective. Yeah. And even that kind of came and went. We don't have classics like Walker, Texas Ranger anymore <laughs> to keep us going. Yeah, I wonder though if that ties in with, with the idea of uh, entertainment mm-hmm. ecology that it's because, at least in North America, and I think in a lot of places around the world, we're we're mm-hmm. sort of at a point where we don't know what to make of society. Okay, what do you mean? Well, if you th- you take the temperature, say here in North America, mm-hmm. are people for society or against it? Well, it it's hard to tell because you get rambling idiots basically on both sides yelling and hollering, and that's kind of that's kind of mm-hmm. where no matter what you do, somebody's going to be like upset by it, and they're they're going to make it known, and we don't really know. Because we've talked about that before, like the internet outrage machine. You don't really have mm-hmm. any way of knowing how prevalent anybody or any group's like anger is. Right. That's true. You know, oh my God, you gave Wolverine a haircut. Yeah, it's the end of my childhood. You're, you're Hitler. Blah. Well, is it just this one person ranting? Is this, does the world in general hate Wolverine? We don't know. And when you get to the serious issues... Yeah, we're mm-hmm. we're kind of at that point. We're not exactly sure who do you trust and how far do you trust them. Well, also keep in mind we we're still still I would say in involved with Black Lives Matter as well. I mean, in the last couple of years, the cops are the bad guys again. Mm-hmm. We're truly back to that point where the cops are you know are the man mm-hmm. you who exist pretty much to just to, to keep the folks down. Well, yeah, uh, and, unless I go to certain websites where. The cops are cool, but it's those Black Lives Matter people that are actually terrorists going to kill us all. Well, okay. But then again, but we're back to your internet point, mm-hmm. whereas there's so many different perspectives that, I mean, you know, everyone kind of agrees that we want to see the, you know, the bad guys go down. But the, some people are arguing, well, who the bad guys really are. Yeah. Um, and some people are arguing about, yeah, what what justice really means, and yeah, anyway, so yeah, it's it's a big mess, and, and I think that ties in, like you were saying, that a lot of the current ones they're focusing kind of more on the big picture because I've even noticed the shows that follow real life police and detectives, especially the ones mm-hmm. where it's the detectives investigating in real life, are mm-hmm. focusing more and more on how the case you're seeing how it affects the detective. They're spending more time with like friends and family of the victim and that. That mm-hmm. it's almost like everybody, no matter what side of whatever issue you 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 rest on, we're all just kind of getting tired and battered down by life in general, and that's what you're starting to see 
with with like mm-hmm. a lot of the cop stories that it's not so much about the case anymore as it is the toll that it takes on people around it. Yeah, it, exactly including, how it affects society. Well, yeah. society, the detectives, including there's a lot of ones where it shows how it's affecting the criminal that you're seeing things things happening on that side too now. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, Law and Order always did a little bit of that. They would all they would always try to look at the different aspects of the case, but they were still confined from the point of view of the police and the and the lawyers for the most part. But they would go a little bit into that area. Yeah. But now they're really kind of uh, trying to delve deep into it. I guess so. I guess that's kind of the new thing, is it? Yeah, just kind of trying to look at to take a look at it from the from the bigger picture. In sometimes sometimes from the smaller picture as well. Um, just trying to look at where how this is a reflection of society and uh, how everything everyone is affected by crime mm-hmm. and how in a weird way we all suffer because of crime mm-hmm. from the police to the victims to even the criminals are the result of suffering. Wait, does that mean we're back into the era of the criminals are just you know poor um, victims of society? Well, it depends which uh, websites you subscribe to. Oh, okay, okay, that's okay, that's that's good. Uh, I can make sure that I'm on the right website. Um, so, or wrong one, or whatever. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's, I guess that's the situation. Mm-hmm. All right, okay, so, uh, so where do you want to go from here? We've been doing this for two hours. Where do we want to go from here as far as, uh, as far as police and popular culture go? Do you want to wrap it up? Yeah, because I, th- I don't know if there's, um, I think, yeah, that we're, we're at that idea that nowadays, again, thanks to like the internet, and, and you know the super diversification of media everything is mm-hmm. in play mm-hmm. they nobody knows exactly what the next big take on this is going to be mm-hmm. and wow sad part maybe society's in so much turmoil nobody can decide when we produce our next big like cop series do we sympathetic to the villains or the the police? Nobody can really kind of make up that mind. In a lot of ways, we're all just sort of floating in limbo at the moment. Right. Until they reboot CSI in a couple of years, and then we'll be off and running again. See, that's a sign of the apocalypse that there isn't currently a CSI series. Well, it's because we got used to them being around. They CSI was literally on the air for like 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> which one there were so many well, yeah i know miami was on the it was on the air for uh, how long was miami on for because that was on for a long time my 2002 to 2012 10 years that's pretty good from tv tv that's like uh 13 epochs yeah that's exactly right uh cyber only lasted like two seasons thank god i'm surprised um, it lasted that long well yeah I mean, it from what I from what I saw and from what I understand, it was written by a bunch of people who barely understood computers. <laughs> Most TV is like that. Well, because the problem is, real computer hacking is really boring. Yeah. So they always have to like glitz it up and make them, you know, make the, all the all these computer hackers are like super hackers. Mm-hmm. And to make it all because that's their idea of making it interesting, and they try to glamour up what hacking is and all computer crime and all that stuff. It's like. No, most of this is pretty boring, actually. Mm. It's not really that interesting, but eh, whatever. <laughs> so I guess we're at a turning point now with um, cops and popular culture where they're kind of everything, but they're also nothing. Mm-hmm. And we really don't know where all this, we don't know what the next big trend is, but I'm sure it's coming 
or has already started and we just didn't realize it. <laughs> Here's a sobering thought. At this mm. moment, there's a TV executive working up his pitch for his dark, gritty remake of Cop Rock. Good night, Don. <laughs> and good night, folks. Thanks for listening. Um, let us hope that that nightmarish future never gets produced, <laughs> but we'll, we'll see what happens. And yes, I'll put a link to Cop Rock in the don't, show notes, don't. just in case you were actually uh, thought we were joking. Remember, we've got millennials who don't know what Cop Rock is, you know, listening to the yeah, show. But what if, what, um, if, so, if, what if they look it up from our site and then one of them is the one that has the pitch that happens and then it's our fault, really? Eh, there's worse things to be blamed for, I suppose. But, um, <laughs> you know, whatever. Cop Rock, remake Global Warming. One of them will get us. Super Volcano, you know, whatever. <laughs> Asteroid. Um, but in the end, you know, I think people will always be fascinated by the police mm -hmm. because they do represent authority figures. And I think there's a certain amount of power fantasy to go with them as well. Yeah. The idea of being someone who wields the power over others to make decisions about life and death and justice is something that will always appeal. Mm -hmm. There will always be an audience for that. And so therefore, we'll always have that. Plus, they're damn cheap to make and just people like them. Yeah. All right, folks, thanks for listening. Uh, if you have a comment or an idea uh, that you want to share with us, go to obeythedna.com and uh, leave your comments for us to uh, laugh at. I mean, <laughs> respond to. Yes, uh, and uh, please drop by again next time for another amazing episode we'll, where we'll be talking about something that will be potentially even cooler than this. Check us out in two weeks and find out. Good night, folks. There are 8 million stories in the Naked City. This has been one of them. You're naked too? Oh, can I die? Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at obeythedna.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya.